Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, in the next few moments, I want to talk to you about the resurrection, which is not only appropriate because it's Easter Sunday, but actually would be appropriate on any Sunday that we talked about it. Because the resurrection is the greatest event in the history of humankind. No event historically that we could think of could match the resurrection. I say that because it is the greatest demonstration of power in all of human history. Not only that, it is the greatest demonstration of God's love in human history. It's power and it's love that personally changes our lives. So in the few moments we have together, I want to look at Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. This is Mark's account of that first Easter, and it is so powerful. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, remember she's the one Jesus cast seven demons out of, and Mary, the mother of James, so this would be Mary, the mother of one of the disciples named James. There's two disciples named James. This is James the Less. And Salome, who happens to be the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. A lot of Marys and a lot of people to know. But Mark is giving us eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. This incidentally is an angel. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So we look at this account. I want to wrap our thoughts around three words, because this account has to do with a word of faith, it has to do with a word of power, and it is also a word of grace. First of all, a word of faith in verse 6, it says this, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. All that to say, that's the last thing they expected. I mean, what's interesting, when you read Mark's gospel on three separate occasions, Jesus says, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be condemned, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. So you would think that they would be going to the tomb on the third day and they would say, let's go see. Remember, he said 
he was going to rise from the dead. Let's go see if it's happened. But that's not what they're doing. They're actually going to complete the burial of his body. All of that to say that the resurrection was as big a, as a surprise to them as it is to some of you today. They didn't expect it. They didn't imagine it. They weren't looking for it. It seemed impossible to them. And one of the things I love about Mark's account is Mark is giving us eyewitness evidence to the resurrection. He gives us three eyewitnesses. There's Mary Magdalene at the cross, Mary the mother of James the Younger and Joseph and Salome. At the grave, there's Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph. At the empty tomb, there is Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome. So he's got these women and he's bringing, he's using their names. He's saying, listen, you could go talk to them. If, if you know who they are, you can go and interview them and ask them about what happened. Here's another thing that I think speaks to the authenticity of what Mark is writing is if you were in the first century writing an account and you were wanting to prove something to be true that maybe wasn't and you were going to fabricate a story, the last people you would have as eyewitnesses would be women. The reason why is because in that day in the first century, a woman's testimony was not admissible in a court of law. In fact, a century later, critics of the resurrection say, how can we believe the account? Because it's women who are the eyewitnesses to it. You see, this speaks to the authenticity, the truth of Mark's account. It was women that came, that saw. The gospel writer is only telling us the facts, and then he's leaving it to us to determine the reality of the resurrection. And here is the way it works. You have to, at some point, decide if you're in or you're out. You have to decide if you're going to believe or not. You know, in life, as we walk with God, it's faith that introduces us to the power of God. A lot of times people say, well, you know, if I could just see, I would believe. But in Christianity, it's completely opposite. It's not seeing is believing, it's believing is seeing. That God is, in anything he does in our life, is always gonna leave enough mystery to it that it will require us to take that step of faith. The Christian life is about faith, and it starts with faith in Jesus' resurrection. And there's plenty of evidence. I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, Paul writes this, For what I received I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. In other words, again, you can talk to them. You can, there are plenty of eyewitnesses to his resurrection. It all comes down to whether a person wants to believe. That's how you become a follower of Christ. That's how you experience his work in your life, not only in salvation, but in everything that happens after salvation. It starts with faith. It begins with faith. We live by faith. It is faith 
from start to finish. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, you say, Jesus, I believe you're the king of kings. I believe you're in charge. I'm going to follow you and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Once you put your faith in him, powerful things begin to happen. Which leads us to the second word. It's a word of power. Verse 6, Mark 16, 6, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. Literally, he has been raised. God has raised him from the dead. It speaks of the power of God. In fact, when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is talking about that power of God that works in us, and he says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will work in your and my life. And look at what he says. He says, I pray that your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In other words, his power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead is the greatest demonstration of power in the history of mankind. Read on. Look at what he says. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. All of these are angelic and demonic beings. He is over everything. And it's God's power that raised him from the dead. Think of this. The greatest demonstration of God's power in all of human history is not when he created the universe. When he spoke and through his breath, worlds, universes, galaxies came into existence. That seems pretty powerful to me. He speaks and says, let there be light, and there's light. He speaks, and the, the ocean is formed. He speaks, and the stars are formed. Amazing power. But the greatest power of all is the power he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead, because in that moment, he not only raised him from the dead, but he had released the power that will raise us. He released the power that will change us. He released the power that would give us forgiveness. So it's a word of faith, and it's a word of power. Listen, when you believe, when you and I believe, it releases God's power into our life. It's also a word of grace. Look at this in Mark 16, 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. What a word of grace. You might expect Jesus to have the angels say, go tell those cowards who denied me. Remember on the night before he's betrayed, Jesus said, I am going to be arrested and you're all going to fall away. You're all going to desert me. And the disciples all said, no, never. And Peter, he went so far as to say, hey, you know what? I, I can't vouch for what they'll do, but I can tell you, I will die for you if I have to. And Jesus says to Peter, listen, Peter, before the night ends, you'll deny three times that you even know me. Peter, following Christ as he is tried, sits in a courtyard, and a servant girl says, you're one of his disciples. And Peter says, I don't even know him. 
And then others start saying, no, you are. No, I don't even know. And begins to call down curses on himself. So here's Peter filled with failure. Here's Peter thinking the last person in the world Jesus would want to see is him. But in this word of grace, Jesus says to the disciples, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I want relationship with you. What does this say about the heart of God? That God loves you so much. He loves people so much. Not only people in general, but people in particular. He loves you. He sees you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. God loves you more than you can imagine. And here's the thing. When you put your faith in him, what you receive in return is his life-changing power because faith becomes the conduit by which God's power is released in our life, not only at salvation, but throughout our walking with God thereafter. It's a constant flow of his power to help you, to go before you, to heal you, to work in situations in ways you and I never could. But it all starts when we put our faith in Christ and then his power comes and changes our life. Changes it in ways you and I never could. Changes it in ways that, that bring us a life we could never achieve on our own. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. A full life. A different life. And the power to make it happen, power you and I don't possess on our own. That's the message of Easter. That's the power of the resurrection. That when we put our faith in Christ, he can do in us, for us, through us, what we could never do on our own. It's, it's one of the things I love about being in the ministry. You watch it happen. In fact, at Easter... Not this Easter, but in an Easter past, Eddie and Sally experienced his life-changing power, changed their life. I want you to hear their story. My name is Eddie, and this is my wife, Sally, and we attend the Joplin campus, and we've been married for 11 years. We met at a birthday party, and she caught my eye, and her smile was a big part. She cleaned up well. We got married in 2012, in December, and we had our son in May of 2012. So shortly after we got together, I noticed that he had a drinking problem. And that started with a couple drinks, and then it led to coming home at like three in the morning. There were a couple times I would call his boss and lie to him why he wasn't going to work today. And it just really escalated. I had a void inside my, my heart that it seemed like alcohol was the only the only thing, being raised as a Catholic, we don't have that, uh, that relationship with Jesus. I just felt like nobody was there for me. He was lost. He was just lost. I didn't like myself, I hated myself. I tried to multiple times commit suicide. I didn't want to be alive. I, I didn't think I deserved it. I didn't think I was good enough mm -hmm. for anything. For anything. Anything. When he drank, he was angry. He was mad at everyone, anywhere. He was mad at himself. 
It got to the point where he would just drink to the, till he was belligerent. He wasn't coherent. He would just black out. He would come home and just argue. We would fought. We would fight constantly. There was there there was a lot of fighting. There was years and years of him saying he'll stop drinking, but it was always a couple weeks, and it wasn't ever consistent. So I always felt like whenever I said I've had enough, he would always say something to make me feel like, okay, this is gonna change. And then when I realized it wasn't gonna change anymore, uh, it was too much for me. His drinking got to the point where he wasn't himself. And when he wasn't himself, he would get violent to the point where I feared for my life and the safety of our son. I was done. I had enough. I had enough of his drinking and him blacking out. And I said it was done. I was, it was over. I was gonna lose my, my marriage. I was gonna lose my job. So I would have lost everything. And she gave me an ultimatum. Either you change or you're gone. So it was, everything was just closing in. I couldn't fix it. My boss uh, invited me to James River Church. He, he was after hearing my troubles with my addiction. Around Easter time, that's whenever we, we came to, to James River. I just felt like I was home. And the people at, that's greeting you at the doors. Whenever a pastor was, uh, preaching, he was talking about having a relationship with Jesus, and I was like, I, I wanted that. I raised my hand, and it was it was just amazing. So I stepped out of my seat, and once I was walking, it was like, this is done. All that weight that I had lift off. He saved me. I knew the next step was baptism. Ever since that day, life has been better than good. It's been great. From <laughs> him stopping his alcohol, drinking problems, that all disappeared overnight. Our marriage is completely different now. He's a completely different person, like completely different. Everything has changed. Everybody saw the difference. That that boy that I had, the Holy Spirit's right here. He's, he's here. I don't feel that loneliness that I had before. I feel like I have worth, I have purpose in life. Thanks to Jesus, I have all that I need and more. It was about three weeks later, making the decision to rededicate my life to Jesus and get baptized. It's the best thing ever. The best decision, literally ever. Following Jesus is the, the best thing that has ever happened to me and us. Isn't that just so amazing? So let me ask you this. What are you going to tell somebody who started drinking when they're 12? from a messed up background who repeatedly tries to take their life. They can't stop drinking. Their desire for drink and their addiction to alcohol is stronger than they are. Their wife's gonna leave them. Their wife's given up hope. They're gonna lose their job. What are you going to say to them that is going to make a difference? Jesus, in a word. Jesus. You say, oh, come on, John, that just sounds way too simple.
Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation. You could say the deliverance of anyone who believes. That when a person puts their faith in Jesus, suddenly there is a power to do what they could never do on their own. There's a power that changes a person's life. There's a power that makes them strong where they were weak. There is a power that helps them overcome the things they could never overcome on their own. There is a power that brings such life change that it becomes obvious to people around them they're different. There's that kind of power. I mean, did you catch what she said? She said, overnight, he stops. Overnight. And she's watching it, and I'm sure she's thinking, well, I wonder how long this is going to last. Day one, day two, day three, day four. Now it's three weeks later, and she's saying, man, you know what? He is so different. Jesus has so changed him. Whatever he has, I want. And she rededicates her life to Christ. That's the power of a resurrected Savior. That's the power God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And that's the power that when you and I put our faith in him is at work in our life. But it starts with giving your heart to Jesus. You know, here's the thing. I, I talk to a lot of people who equate knowing about Jesus as being the same as knowing Jesus, and they're not the same at all. You can know all about Jesus. You can have all the facts. But unless you move from facts to faith, his power will never change your life. I want to ask you, has there been a moment you gave your heart to Jesus? Has there been a moment where you put your faith in him? Has there been a moment where you said, Jesus, please save me? Because you can go to church and you can be a, try to be a good person and and you can know about him and say, it's all good with me and the men upstairs. Which when somebody says that, I'll say, you know what? You don't even know him or you wouldn't talk about him like that. Because when you know him, you know his power. You know what his power will do. And you love him so much that you're, you would never speak disrespectfully about him because you just love him so much. I want to ask you, have you given your heart to Jesus? You say, well, I think I have. Can I just help you process that statement? If you give your heart to Jesus, there will be no doubt in your mind that you've done it. And here's why. Because his power will so have changed your life, it will be like you become a different person. This, this verse describes the testimony we just saw. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Paul says this, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Eddie was a new creation. The old Eddie, gone. Then it says this, Paul says, behold, everything is new. He's got a new power to say no to alcohol. He's got a new marriage. He's got a new ability to work at his work. He's got, it, it made him a new father, a new husband. It, it made him new all the way around. Listen, when you give your heart to Jesus, that's, that's the mark that it's actually happened. I can remember when I gave my heart to Christ, 
about eight weeks into it, it dawned on me when some friends were asking me to go do something with them that I normally would have wanted to do, and in this case, something I'd actually planned. And I realized as they were asking me, I don't want to do that anymore. And it dawned on me, something has happened. I've become a different person. The things I wanted to do, I don't want to do. Jesus had changed my life. Listen, this is an important issue. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, unless a man's born again, he calls it being born again because it's like you, but you're born all over again. It's like a brand new you. And he says, unless a person's born again, they can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You, don't, you won't go to heaven when you die unless you're born again. Later, Jesus says, you must be born again. It's not optional, it's essential. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to call for you. Your, your grandmother can't, your, your friends can't, your kids can't, your parents can't. Only you can call on God for you. And that's why on, on this Easter Sunday, this is not just about celebrating an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It's celebrating the power of Christ that still changes lives today. And the most important thing that anybody in this room or anybody watching online could consider is, has Jesus changed your life? And, and if he hasn't, then why in the world would you not invite him in to your heart to bring his life-changing power? Oh, you, you may not be an alcoholic. You may simply have that void that he had that he couldn't fill with anything he tried to fill it with. Because every single human being has a void in their heart that only Jesus Christ can fill. And you'll search and search and search until you invite him into your heart. I love this scripture in Revelation chapter three. It's Jesus and he's knocking on a door it's the door of the human heart. And he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open it, I'll come in. He's never going to kick the door to your heart down. He's going to wait for you to invite him in. And I can't think of anything more powerful or more appropriate on this Easter Sunday than for you to invite him into your life and experience the greatest power in all of human history as it personally changes your life and you begin to know God in a way you never imagined possible. And whatever it is that you need in your life, along with the changing of your heart, he begins to bring his power to work on those areas of our life, just like he did with Eddie and with Sally. He wants to do that with you.